Sacrifice is an essential part of worship. There may be that thing that you're doing that you're wasting time, and the Lord says, hey, sacrifice that to me. Give it to me. Whatever that thing is, why don't you give it to me and let me turn this thing around for you and show you that life is way better when you truly serve me and you walk with me and you live for me. Stop wasting time in this thing that I didn't call you to. Why don't you sacrifice that thing to me? See, because of David's decisive and costly action, and it costs something for a sacrifice, it shouldn't be free. A sacrifice costs. you are serving the Lord without any sacrifice on your part, you are missing an important part of worship. In his message today, Pastor Mark encourages you to seek the Lord and ask if there is an area of your life that could be better spent serving Him. You might be spending a lot of time in a certain area that God didn't call you to, and He is asking you to worship Him by giving it up. If you try and sacrifice something that doesn't cost you anything, then it is not a true sacrifice. Sacrifices will always cost you something initially, but the payoff will be a richer and fuller relationship with the Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24 for today's edition of Come Alive. And then we see Joab in verse 3. He comes to David, and he's clearly troubled by the king's order and openly questioned it when it came. While expressing the wish that the Lord might multiply the troops a hundred times over during David's lifetime, Joab was convinced perhaps based on the Torah warning in Exodus uh, chapter 30, verse 12, that ascertaining the number of Israelite soldiers would automatically endanger them. And so before Joab has always been that one to compromise it. I mean, this guy now is the guy that's got some good sense coming and saying, hey, you know, why are we doing this? Trying to get David to say, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea. But David's not willing to listen to this guy. Why? Because Joab was the guy of compromise. Right? Joab's the guy, remember? Hey, David says, don't, don't kill, and Joab kills. Don't, don't hang him, and Joab hung him. And so Joab's always compromised. So, you know, when, when you're that person, when you're that person because of compromising, people aren't going to listen to you because you've lost the power to preach at that point. They're going to look at your life and say, hey, you know what? You're not doing so well in that area. Why are you telling me what to do? How, how can I take advice from you when when your life is kind of messed up in this area, when you're blowing it. You may think what you do doesn't count. What you drink, what you eat, what you see at the movies, what you listen to. But I know that whatever you do as a parent, it might be that one beer, it might be that one smoke, it might be that one thing, that your kids usually, and I'll say usually, not always, but your kids usually will take it to the next level. Whatever you do, whatever you do, they'll take it to the next level. And so though it will cause problems in their lives. And so maybe the dad never got drunk or did anything, but just had that one beer a week or two beers a week or whatever, and they felt it was okay in their house, and that kid sees it, and that kid takes it to the next level. And so usually, again, usually, not all the time, and I can't guarantee that, but usually, all, you know, most of the time, those kids will take what you as parents do to the next level. That's what happens. It could cause people to lose their lives. 
And so we have to be careful with what we do. That doesn't mean we live under a box or we have to hide everything. Just be careful with what you do. Make sure the Lord says, hey, it's cool. It's cool to do that. Look at verse, look at verse five. It says, and they crossed over the Jordan and they camped in Aurora on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazer. And then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tadim, Hodshi, and they came to Dan, Janan, and around Sidon. And they came uh, to the stronghold of Tyre, to all the cities of the Hivites and to the Canaanites. And then they went out to the south of Judah as far as Beersheba. And so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. So we know David hasn't been doing the will of the Lord, but notice for how long. Notice for how long. Nine months and 20 days. What a waste of time. It's just a waste of time. How long does one not comply with what God wants? When you think about that, I mean, how long do we, we, we take time out? See, he knows what he's doing. David knows what he's doing isn't right. Joab even came and told him, and some leaders tried to warn, and, and continue. he continues to do whatever it is he wants. And so here there are things that God has asked us not to be a part of. Hey, don't do these certain things. And he says right here in his word, don't do these things. Yet we do them. And then he sends people to say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, well, we care enough for you to, to mention that to you. So don't do that thing. And they continue to do it. And so here's the, the thing that those things that we do, well, they're not very productive. Uh, they don't help further the kingdom. If you call yourself a Christian, everything you should do should help move the kingdom forward and further the kingdom of God. And so sometimes we are more productive and sometimes we're less productive. But how long do you just become less productive? Like David, nine months, 20 days? And here's the deal. We will all answer for how we spend our time uh, because it's a gift from God. We all get the same amount. And we're always amazed at like how people succeed and they're like do all this stuff. And we're like, man, how did that guy do all of that? And hopefully as a Christian, you don't ever say luck because it really doesn't exist. But we, we see how people do things. Some people are willing to devote more time to work and less time to family. Some people are willing to devote more time to themselves and less time to family or more time to church and less time to family. And that can happen. And, and there's a balance. God's saying, hey, there's a balance. So we're all going to answer for the amount of time we've wasted doing nothing or things that God has not called us to be a part of. You will answer for that. And I hope none of you allow nine months and 20 days to go by doing something God had never called you to do. I hope we stop and we're like, all right, I want to hear from you, Lord, and I want to do what you asked me to do. Look at verse nine. And then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, that you would take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. So David starts by saying that he's condemned. In reality, he's not really condemned. He's convicted. 
Conviction's that little sting that happens when you do something wrong and you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have done, that, that was wrong. Uh, that thing about wasting time, Mark, man, you really got me, bro, and uh, I'm condemned. No, you're convicted. You're not condemned. And so he, there's conviction. And he recognized that the census as he conducted it was a violation of the Lord's will. And wisely, David took responsibility for his transgression and confessed that he had sinned greatly in what he had done. Employing a verb here that can denote morally deficient activity, we see here is, is he admitted that in taking that census, he had done a very foolish thing. Had done a very foolish thing. One of the meanings for iniquity means punishment. So isn't that just like anyone? They, they, they sin, they commit a crime, but they don't want to do the time. Isn't that like us? Oh, when we sin, I've done this horrible thing. I know I was warned about it. I know you sent people to me, and I don't want to pay for my sin, so please don't, don't punish me. But isn't that funny? We, we don't want to do the time. So we willingly blow it, and we start screaming mercy and grace. When we willingly blow it, we start going, oh, man, I really blew it. We knew we were going to blow it. We did it. We start wanting mercy and grace all of a sudden. It's just crazy. See, God's like, hey, I sent that guy to warn you. I told that guy to tell you this message to say, hey, stay away. Don't do that. Don't do that thing. That's horrible. I sent them. But you didn't want to listen. And that was my mercy and that was my grace. And now you decided to compromise. I just sent a human messenger to give you a supernatural message and you didn't want to take it. So while David's working a deal with God, God spoke to a prophet named Gad and said, hey, go to Dave and tell him I'm going to give him three choices for his punishment. And David gets to take his pick and judge himself. So David gets to pick and judge himself. So he says, I've been doing something really ignorant and really dumb. And somebody walks up to me in the parking lot and says, hey, let's say today after church, somebody walks up to me in the parking lot and says, hey, man, and tells me all this stuff. I'm like, how'd you know that? God told me. That, that's kind of what's going on with David. David's walking around and he's like, how'd you know that? Well, God told me to tell you. And, and remember that really dumb thing you did last week? God knows about it. It's not hidden. It's been found out. See, if you're a real Christian, your sins will be found out. That's amazing that we think that it's not going to happen. That God loves you so much, he, he wants your sins to be found out so you can repent. So he can bring you back into a right relationship with him. But oftentimes we're just like, no. And we choose the worst. And so you're shocked. Yeah, how did, how did people know? How do people know about this? Yeah, God just told me so. And so God wants you to pick your punishment is what God's saying to David. So number one, no food for seven years, a famine. And number two, all your enemies pursue you for three years. Number three, I, I mean, think about it. What would you pick? I think oftentimes we're either too hard on ourselves or too light. Oftentimes we, we'll be really rough on ourselves. I'm like, man, every time, you know, and, and you've asked for forgiveness for a sin you did about two weeks ago, and I might just mention it today, and then you're like, oh, man, he's talking to me. God just really, and you're just all like, I knew I was a horrible person. I probably didn't repent right. And the other end of the coin is we're too light. Oh, man, I sinned. Oh, well, Lord, forgive me. Please forgive me. And we move on. Verse 14, and David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let us fall into, let this fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. And so here, what does this mean? Well, it's powerful. He's saying, God has given me three choices, and I don't want to make a choice. He wants God to make a choice because David knows God's much more merciful than any man will ever be, including himself. So he's going to just trust the Lord. It's just like when I give my kids op- options. Oh, we'll take the spanking. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have just chose for them. I'm a lot more merciful than they are. And so David says, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. So he says, I'm going to let God judge me. 
And I see a point here concerning the heart of man. The heart of man. Man is typically much more judgmental than God. We understand that. Think about how you judge other people, especially those who cut you off in traffic. And so here's how it works. Again, when I sin, I think my sin should be forgiven and forgotten. But the other person needs to be punished and pay. Look at verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba. 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people. And he said, surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. This is huge. This is enormous. Remember how we started the study in the very first verse? It said God's anger was aroused against Israel. It was aroused against Israel. Was God really upset about David counting or with Israel and in some sin not specified here? And so some of you may have a problem with the 70,000 who died and think this isn't fair. This isn't fair. What do these guys do? And God did the destroying. And anyone who died this day out of the 70,000, this might catch you all, some of you guys as a shock, but hopefully not. They deserve to die. You might say, what do you mean? We don't know. It doesn't say what they did. They deserve to die. Uh, I hope you know that God's smart enough and just enough and fair enough to wipe out those who deserve to die here. And so they deserve to die. God did the destroying. Oftentimes I hear, well, man, Mark, you know, here's the deal. I got a problem with the Bible. There's just too many people that die. So my question to that person always is, all right, do people not die? Oh, no, no, people die. Um, but, But God does it in the Bible. Okay, so God doesn't do it outside the Bible? Oh, well, yeah, he does. He, he does it outside the Bible. It's just the, the way they should die. Oh, so you have a preferred way that people should die. And then all of a sudden that guy quits asking silly questions. No, I, I don't have a preferred way anybody should die. See, we realize that one out of every one person, right? Every single one of us are going to die. Statistics prove that. Everybody dies. And so, in other words, who are we and what do we know compared to God? That would be the question I have. If God is great and powerful and he knows all things and knows everything, who are we then to judge and say and assume upon when God kills somebody in the Bible and wipes out a group of people? How do we know what these people did or didn't do? We don't know. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. So David's like, I have sinned. They have not done anything. And the people are like, man, we're dying. What have we done? And so, listen, sin is not private or personal. That's what we should get out of this, is that sin is not private or personal. Not at all. When you sin, and I'll stand on this fact, it will affect someone else in this room. I'm talking to you guys now. So if you sin, it will affect other people in this room. You may not know it. Uh, Maybe you really don't care. Maybe you think no one else knows, but it will. You might think, well, uh, not those little sins, not those ones that nobody knows, those ones that I do when nobody else is around. Well, yeah, it is going to affect the people around you because here's what it does. Every time you sin, you cloud and you clog that little conduit that allows us the communication that we have with God clouds it up. 
And so what happens with that is you won't act the same, you won't be the same, and it affects the people that are around you. So you obviously will treat somebody differently, and you may be good at playing it off, but people know. People know. Oh, when I blew it one time, people were like, hey, man, is everything okay? Early in my, in my Christianity, in my walk, people were like, well, is everything all right? And I'm like, yeah, everything's cool, man. Why? What's up? I lived 45 miles away from a church that I went to. And somehow people began to see that there was sin in my life. And some guy pulled me aside and says, hey, dude, you know, I just want to tell you I love you. And the only reason I'm telling you, and you may not know me very well. And so God sent like a prophet, like a gad. And this guy says, hey, I just want to ask if everything's all right. Is there some kind of sin in your life that you haven't confessed, that you're playing with, that you're toying with? And I lied and I said, no, no, not at all. Everything's good. And on my ride home, I remember I just broke down. I was like, man, there is. Lord, how did, uh, how did that guy know? It was like, God was like, idiot, I know every, I told him. So the next week I went back and some more people started asking. And actually one person actually called me on it and says, hey, can I talk to you? Here's what I think is going on. I was so busted. I had nowhere to run. I was asked to step down from a spot and and just to, to wait until it all passed, until everything was good. And so I did. I repented and there was fruit of repentance. Look at verse 18. It says, and Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And so David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord had commanded. Now Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arana went, went out and he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And then Arana said, why has my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And so Arana said to David, let my lord, the king, take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for the burnt sacrifice and a threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. And so here 70,000 people die. 70,000 people are dead. David runs into Arana and he says, hey, bro, I need your threshing floor so I can offer a sacrifice up to the Lord so I can stop this plague. And so Arana is like a little freaked out, and he's like, all right, bro, take the ox, you know what? And here, take all this other stuff too. Take what you need. And David says, no, 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 stop. Look at verse 24. And then the king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, David built there an altar to the Lord, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So here, sacrifice is an essential part of worship. There may be that thing that you're doing that you're wasting time and the Lord says, hey, sacrifice that to me. Give it to me. Whatever that thing is, why don't you give it to me and let me turn this thing around for you and show you that life is way better when you truly serve me and you walk with me and you live for me. Stop wasting time in this thing that I didn't call you to. Why don't you sacrifice that thing to me? See, because of David's decisive and costly action, and it costs something for a sacrifice, it shouldn't be free. A sacrifice costs. And so making these sacrifices for his people, David kind of foreshadows somebody that we look at in the New Testament, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the ultimate son of David, who also gave sacrificially on a hill near Jerusalem, outside of the city for his people, so that even a more tragic plague wouldn't take place, that it might be stopped. But this plague is still here. David's climatic sacrifice involved the use of wood and blood on a hill outside the city, and so did Jesus's. 
when you and I blow it willingly, knowingly blow it, it's like we're just taking Jesus and nailing him to the cross all over again, murdering him. And you can say, well, yeah, but the Lord provided him for my sacrifice. But in the Bible, it says once and for all. But when we return like a dog, returning to his vomit, to that sin, to that thing that we want to continue play with and pet, the plague hasn't been stopped then. See, David's sacrifice stopped the physical plague that had taken the lives of many Israelites. He had to make a sacrifice. He had to, something had to die. And for us in the New Testament moving forward, there had to be a sacrifice for us. It cost something. When we do baptism, it's symbolic of us dying. We're drowned. We come up as a new creation. The old man is dead. The new man is there. We are new creations. But how often does the new creation return to try to be the old man again, the old person? And so by Jesus' wounds, the new Israel likewise has been healed. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that. Because he himself bore our sins in his body. So he bore our sins. He died for you and I so we could live in freedom live under him as our Lord and our Savior, yet, well, we tend to blow it when that temptation jumps in front of us. Satan has asked permission to sift some of you, and we chase after it. We're not smart enough to turn away from it because, again, the Bible tells us God has offered a way out for it, and yet we don't take it. We choose the easy road. We go after that thing, and then we wonder why later, when there's all this heartache and all this pain and all this hurt and this suffering, how this could have ever happened. Why, God, why? And he says, hey, I sent people to you to warn you, to love you, to comfort you, to show you the way, and you refused. You've left me with no other alternative other than to be who I am, a just God. And when you reap what you sow, don't complain. But if you turn... Guess what? All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. Not our purposes, but his purposes. And so, uh, can life be good if we blow it? Sure it can. Will you suffer consequences? Of course you will. Does God love you? Yes, he does. Does he love the worst sinner? Always. Because he allowed his son to die for all those who are not inside the church, who do not believe on his son as Jesus Christ, as of yet, the not yet Christian. So what do we do wasting our time? Are we going out there telling people, saying, hey, here's an opportunity for you. I want to share my faith with you. I want you to have opportunity to turn from your sins and come to know the hope that is within me. Are we those kind of people? I pray that that's who we would be going forward this day. Because a lot of people think, and Satan's out there causing a lot of people to harden their heart. Just ask them, hey, you know what? Are you willing to turn? If you are, he's willing to forgive. It's real simple. And then allow God to do that. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to use your own strength. Every time we create a new edition of Come Alive, we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you, our valued listener. Have you been touched by the Spirit as you've listened today? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a quick email at info at comealiveradio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the Katy area, come join us for our Sunday morning service at Calvary Chapel Katy. We meet at 10 a.m. to dig into the Word with Pastor Mark, worship our loving and powerful Creator, and get to know each other better. You can find out more about us at comealiveradio.com. Before we go, Tracy wants to tell you how you can partner with us here at Come Alive. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. We're so glad you joined us today. Pastor Mark will have more to share from this study in the book of 2 Samuel. So join us again for Come Alive. From slavery.